First Samuel chapter 15. Now, we will see here in chapter 15 uh, a critical, pivotal uh, time, a pivotal point in the story of Saul here in chapter 15. The Lord gave him another opportunity that we will see to change his life, to choose to follow God, to choose to be obedient uh, in his life uh, that God's called him to be as a king and to follow him and do it God's way. Just because you're king doesn't mean you separate your being a king from being a, a godly man. <laughs> to be obedient to God. Because God, uh, he takes a godly man, a godly woman, and when he places them into positions of authority, of positions that they have, what you find is in those positions, you have to live for God in obedience. And he chose not to be obedient, even though God sent him, Samuel, a godly man who spoke for God, to show him what he needed to do. He was still very rebellious, and he showed his natural, his his reaction in his heart about not willing and following God uh, in obedience. So, but the Lord hearing again in, in his life another opportunity, and that's God, right? He is, God's merciful and gracious. He, you know, he gives you opportunity, you're disobedient, but he comes back and says, okay, let's try this again. And you might be disobedient, but he says, okay, let's bring it back again. But at some point there's consequences, and we will see this is the pivotal, critical point in the story of Saul here. Because the Lord gave him another opportunity to change, to prove himself, but he failed again, and he lied about it, and he will be judged by it. So he had a habit of making excuses instead of confessing his sins when he fell short. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, let's look at these first three verses here in 1 Samuel 15. And we were going to see that this disobedience coming out here, especially the first 11 verses. But it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, this is not the first time, obviously. He's reminding, Samuel reminding Saul, God used him to come and to anoint him as king. So that's who I'm talking to. Don't, I'm not just some stranger here. I'm the one that, remember, God sent me to anoint you. So we have a relationship here. I'm, I'm, I'm bought into this relationship, you being king. I was there, remember? That's what he's trying to get across to him. He says, now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. I'm telling you what the Lord is telling me to tell you here. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now he's telling him exactly what the Lord's telling Samuel to tell Saul. Okay, this is not just anyone telling you this. this is, I've been used by God in your life here. Listen to me. I will punish Amalek for what he, had, what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both men and woman, infant and nurse, nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. And he will pause right there for a minute because a lot of people can't get past that. As a non-believer or a believer who's never read the word of God and understand who God is from uh, Genesis to Revelation, you will immediately trigger off this. Like, how can a loving God ever wipe out? Yeah, I can understand uh, man. Man should. But woman and infant and nursing child and, and but animals? How can you be cruel to animals? I mean, people go, 
trip out on these, this, this, these scriptures, but God is sovereign. God knows. God understands the evilness and the wickedness of, of man and animal. I mean, he understands these things. So Samuel's here being sent by God to, to, to Saul to, to, to understand. God clearly told Samuel to tell Saul to bring total judgment against the Amalekites. Utter destroy. And the idea of total, complete judgment is here. Now, if you remember and you know the study of the scriptures, the Amalekites have been, has been in the story before, right? We've gone through. He's, the Amalekites is the descendants of Esau, the unbelieving uh, brother of Jacob that we see in Genesis chapter 36 and also in even reference in Hebrews 12 and the enemy of the Jewish people. So, you know, the descendants of Esau just turned on God's people. And, uh, and here they are still in the, now in the promised land and still messing with God's people. But God says to Saul, I'm, I'm telling you, you, this is a commandment. This is not a question, it's not a suggestion. You're going to go and totally wipe them out. But remember, why did God say this? Because God doesn't just do these things without understanding. For centuries, the Amalekites were the first people to attack Israel as they were escaping from Egypt. We saw that in Exodus 17. Hundreds of years before, the Lord said he would bring this kind of judgment against Amalek. This is, it's taken hundreds of years before God finally brings that final judgment here. You can go back and read Exodus 17, 14 through 16, Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 19. Hundreds of years later is finally the judgment's coming. But God said he was going to judge them and wipe them out. Hundreds of years prior, because he attacked God's people. I mean, the Amalekites committed a terrible sin against Israel when the nation was weak and vulnerable. These were wicked people. They would sit there and watch God's people coming across, coming out of Egypt, coming across the, the wilderness, and they had no reason to attack them except for pure violence and greed. And they would come and attack them from behind and get all the people who were weak and the, the children and all the women. They were just weak and falling back. and That's how they would attack. God hates it when the strong take cruel advantage over the weak, especially when the weak is his people. God sees these things. Though this happened some 400 years before, God still held it against the Amalekites because time does not erase sin before God. Among men, time should erase sin and the years should make us more forgiving toward one another because time has passed. But God, time cannot atone for sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can erase sin and not time. In fact, it was time that the Amalekites were mercifully given opportunity to repent, and they never repented over 400 years. So the hundreds of years of hardened, unrepentant hearts made them guiltier, not less guilty. So now he's given the commandment. You're going to go out there and you're going to judge Amalek. God could have, when you ponder this scripture, God could have taken out Amalek just like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah, but he chose not to do it that way. 
But God had a special purpose in this for his special nation, Israel. God is sovereign. He knows that the best way to do things and bring upon judgment, but also blessing. He wanted it to be a test of obedience for Saul here at this moment in the history of Israel to say, will you be obedient to me and do what I call you to do in the position of kingship? Amalek's sin was to attack, came about and attacked Israel. Now God wanted to make the judgment fit the sin. I'm going to have my people attack them. Now, would God call his people today to fight such a war of judgment? God has completely a different call for Christians under the new covenant than he did in Israel under the old covenant. We see that in John 18, 36. Though God no longer calls his people to take up arms as instruments of his judgment, of God's judgment, it does not mean that God has stopped judging the nations who come against him. And so when you think these through, any nation that is turned against God, you name it, Rome, Greece, Babylon, Nineveh, Spain, France, Great Britain, all these great nations over the many years in creating entire empires, when they went against the nation of Israel, they went down. God brought judgment different ways but brought judgment, and they no longer are in power. Verse 4, So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tel Aviv, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. Interesting moment here. We see Saul assessing about to go and take out the Amalekites. And he notices and remembers the Canaanites who were living among the Amalekites. Saul certainly had the capable, he was a very capable military leader. That wasn't a question here. He could have gathered and organized a large army. Obviously, there's 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. There was enough there to go and deal with the enemy with his army. He also knew how to time his attack properly as he laid in wait in the valley. So he was very strategic. But he sees that the Canaanites are there and he goes to them and, and sends a messenger somehow to the leader of the Canaanites and says, get your people out of there. Go and depart. Why? Because Saul had wisdom as well in times like this. He showed wisdom and mercy letting the Canaanites go. Why? Because God's judgment was not upon them. So he did not want to destroy them with the Amalekites. The Canaanites showed kindness to God's people. So God obviously gave Saul insight to say, go and get them out of there. I'm not bringing judgment upon them. Even though they're associated with them right now, get them out because you're going to bring judgment upon the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hevelah and the way to Sir. 
which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, not a good but here, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling, keyword, to utterly destroy them. They were unwilling. But everything, despi- but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. This is where you see the uh, rebellion, the stubbornness, stiff-neckedness, the arrogance of Saul. And the people followed that character of their leader. And that's the danger of a bad leader, not having godly character, but worldly character. Because the people who work for you or follow you or watch your lives, your family watching you at the head of the house and watching you, they will take on those same characteristics many times. So be very careful as a leader. But here we see that Saul attacked the Amalekites. All right, he did exactly what God said to. Uh, He did attack them here. And this was good and in obedience to the Lord, but it was a selective obedience or what we refer to as partial obedience or incomplete obedience. Saul took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. He was supposed to kill him. He was supposed to utterly destroy all the people with the edge of the sword. That's what God's command was. It was clear. He was to bring total judgment upon all the people and the animals, and that included the king. So the question is, as we read this, why did he keep the king alive? Agag alive. Saul spared Agag either out of a foolish pity for the goodliness of his person, I doubt that, which Josephus, a historian, notes, or it says that maybe it was out of his goodness that he would did this, or, or respect for the, his royal majesty, or the like positions. I'm a king, you're a king, I'm going to spare you if you would have spared me, right? right. So maybe it was a king-to-king kind of a buddy kind of a moment here. But if Saul spared Agag, the people will take liberty to spare the best of the spoil, and that is the sin of great command limitations. Or I should say command imitations. You imitate your leader, and even if it's bad, you and have a tendency to, to lean that, you have to be very careful. So what happens here, God clearly commanded it there to, to utterly take out every ox and sheep and camel and donkey, Destroy all the people. In a normal war in ancient world, armies were freely permitted to plunder the, the, the goods. That's how they got paid as soldiers. They were able to get the goods, collect it, and take it back to the family. That's how they were paid in war. They get the spoils of the war. That's typical. What you see in the script. But this time, God didn't want that. He wanted nothing in the Amalekites. He wanted completely wiped out. But it was wrong for everyone in Israel to benefit from the war against the Amalekites because it was an appointed judgment from God. But do you notice, 
when they came across things that seemed to be despised or worthless, there's no value, they had no problem utterly destroying. So they were keeping and, and picking and choosing. You can imagine they were all pleased with themselves and all the gain that they got from the battle and they were high-fiving and look what I got, look what I got, I look at what's in my pocket and I'm taking it back. The wifey's going to really love this and going on and on and stopping and looking. Did we please God in all we say and do? And they were not. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. Saul's men obeyed as far as it suited them. They did not obey God at all by being partial obedience. So what happens? Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Wow. Lord's saying, that's pretty strong words. I re greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. He's not been obedient. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. See, God's heart was broken over Saul's disobedience. The man who started out humble, if you remember, Saul started out very humble. He submitted to God. He, went, he, was, he, remember, he was hiding behind the equipment because he didn't want the attention. Now he's out there doing his own thing. He's, he's literally went out his own way in disobedience against God. And what was Samuel's response was, was just recognizing and knowing that God is saying, I greatly regret that I even did this. Now, God explains himself many times in the scripture in terms of what man would feel or understand in human terms. He's, it's an anthropomorphism. It's a, it's a term, if I said that correctly, but it, it's, a, it's a term that used that man's human terms so that you and I can understand the feelings of God in this moment. I regret that I, I even made him king. God knew from the beginning Saul's heart and his ways and destiny this is not like, oh, I can't believe I didn't see this happening and going to happen in, in Saul's life. He knows all things. But he's expressing it to, to Samuel and to us, the readers that God wanted us to read, is how he was saying, this is a regret. This is, this is, a, this is a, a, a moment for you and I to say, he's given us opportunity to, to do and to be obedient, to be humbled and to follow him and be obedient. Don't turn away. Don't turn a, go, walk away from what God does. Don't, don't do what he's done where you, he stopped following me, God says. That, we do not want to be where we stop following God. No point when I read this, do I ever want to sit there and, and, and think in my, if I stop following God, that he's saying, oh, I greatly regret that I saved Corey. I don't want that. Jesus reminds us, just follow me. Abide in me. Don't be, like, don't be like Saul doing his own thing and he only wants to do what he wants to do. 
Because now he's no longer humble. He now thinks he's in control of his life. He can do whatever he wants to do. Even though God sent him someone to tell him, you're not going down the right path. He was blinded to his sin. Blinded to his selfishness, his arrogance, this, this stubbornness, I'm going to do what I want to do. And he's thinking back in the old, like that last chapter and this chapter, Saul really thinks he's doing God's work, doing what God wanted him to do. That's how blinding it can be. Samuel, here's God used Samuel, and he's just grieving. He's just, he can't even sleep all night. He's grieving because he knows God's grieving over this whole situation of Saul choosing to just go do his own thing under the premise of he thinks, well, I'm doing, I went to attack the Amalekites. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. Don't sugarcoat it for yourself. That's the biggest danger for you and I, is to sugarcoat and think we're okay when we know we're being disobedient. We see in 1 Samuel that back in 13, 14, God had already sought for himself a man after his own heart. He knew David was coming along. There was going to be a time of preparation for this new king that's coming along. Yet as all unfolds, God's heart was not emotionless here of this situation. He didn't just sit in heaven with a clipboard checking off boxes and coldly saying all accounted to plans. Saul's disobedience hurt God. And since we can't grasp all what happens in God's heart, the closest that we can come is for God to express it in these human terms saying I greatly regret that I ever set up Saul as king and Samuel's response was to grieve as well because he knew God's heart was just grieving over this situation and he was grieving so what happens in verse 12 so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul, it means he tracked him down, he found him. <laughs> and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. <laughs> You've got to picture it, right? He, 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 Samuel knew where Saul should be. After this whole war thing took place, he knew where he was supposed to be. He gets down there, and it appears Saul booked it out of the town. I, I'm going to get out of here. I'm heading to go do my thing. He went down to Carmel, and did, he set up his own monument for himself. Look, I'm, I have victory. I, I've, I've, look at the war, look at me, I'm going to put my, another thing on my love me wall. Look at my achievements. He wasn't humbled. He wasn't affected by this. He had no, his heart was so hard and he didn't even see the fact that he went against God. He actually was so proud of himself, he was pumping himself up over this whole thing.
I mean, think about this. Sam is looking for a man he, God, used to anoint this man, Saul, as king years before. Now he has to come to discipline this disobedient king. How difficult that must have been for this godly man to bring discipline to a prideful man and rebellious man who was not willing to be obedient. Saul was not grieved over his sin. Matter of fact, he was quite pleased with himself. We'll find in coming chapters, God will raise up another man to replace Saul. David will come along and be in total contrast to Saul. He'll be a man that's been, he'll be known for a man after his God's own heart. We see that noted in the scripture. Remember when David wasn't perfect, we see in the scriptures, he many times crying out and finding himself in despair because of his weaknesses and failures. But David felt the guilt and the shame that one should feel when you're disobedient, even partially disobedient to what God's called you to do. Saul didn't feel it at all. His conscience was dead to shame. His heart was dead to God. He probably would never have said that. If you ask Saul, your heart's dead to God. No, my heart's not dead to God. I, I, I love God. I, I'm doing what God, I, I wouldn't attack the Amalekite. His heart was so dead. He could directly disobey God and still set up a monument to himself on the, for the occasion. That tells you something right there. Where his heart truly is. He's, he's been self-deceived, is what we say in the scripture. He was self-deceived. He probably really believed that he told Samuel everything he believed. And he was doing the right thing. He said at the very end, that's the, this is where you get saved. Here you have Samuel tracking this man down as he's, look at, he went down to Carmel. And then he went gone and around and he's passed by and he's gone down. He's trying to, I believe, avoid Samuel. And he gets to Gilgal and when he, Samuel finds him, like God's not can't guide Samuel down to find this man. Like, are you kidding me? And the first thing that comes out, Samuel doesn't even get to say anything to Saul. And Saul says, hey, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. <laughs> I did good. Don't I get a good a gold star? I mean, I did exactly. This was good. This is right. Yeah, yeah, let's celebrate. Now, you can, you can celebrate all you want. Because you're just pumping yourself up. That's complete failure. Because you weren't fully obedient. You've been self-deceived. Pride always leads us into self-deception. Always remember that. Pride will always lead us into self-deception. No, no doubt. Verse 14, but Samuel said, oh, really? Oh, I, I, I was going to come down and discipline you. Oh, I, I'm glad you're all pumped up about the No, no that's not what happened here. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? <laughs> Oh, I can love this man. He just like, are you kidding me? 
Are you really going to tell me that you just performed the fully com the commandment of the Lord? What's the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? Allowing it the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, they have brought them, they, notice that, now the deflection, now the, the shift of blame, but they, they brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Oh, now you bring in the, but the God, this is going to be, I'm doing this, disobedience? Doing it, going against you, so I can come and now sacrifice to you, God. Because this is all for you. Yeah, we always twist it to make it sound so good. Because they're deceptive, they're deceived. We're coming to take the sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest, we have utterly destroyed. We did destroy some. Didn't use the word some. He just said, and we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. The old man had enough of the chatter. The lies, the deception. Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. See, the livestock was not supposed to be, there shouldn't be no livestock there. <laughs> if you were obedient to God, there should be no livestock going on. I, uh, you haven't performed the commandment of the Lord. I think your pride and your disobedience has blinded you. You're deaf to the, what I'm hearing. I'm not deaf. I hear the animals. I don't know why you don't hear the animals. Of course he heard the animals because he shifted blame and told them that it's the people's fault. He wasn't taking responsibility, but you're the leader. You could have told the people you cannot take these things. God commanded us not to touch any of the animals. We we're supposed to wipe them all out. But he, as a leader, did not make sure the people followed the commandment of the Lord. That is what a leader was supposed to do. Oh, how important it is, my brothers and sisters, we have a prayer a sincere prayer when we pray in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's our prayers. Let us not be self-deceived. We must keep close closeness with God and and open to him. And if there's any anxieties in me, Lord, that these things, if I have anxiety, I'm supposed to cast those over to you. I'm supposed to come to you with all my cares. And so I'm not self-deceptive. And I'm not responding and making decisions emotionally and, and doing my own thing or pride or any of those things. i got to stay close to the Lord. Search me, O oh God. I mean, he went through a series of excuses. The first was a series, it just, it never stopped. He blamed the people. And then after that, he, he then he included himself in the, the obedience. But the rest, we are utterly, you know, they, and then we utterly destroyed. I mean, he's shifting back and forth. This one, I'm not going to take, I'm going to shift blame, but this one I can, I can account for and, and get credit. And then he just tried to justify it by saying we kept the fine quality, the, the best, the sheep, and the good. Anyone in their right mind would keep the good stuff. 
And then finally, he claimed to do it for a spiritual reason. God showed me. God, this, is, this is for the sacrifice of the Lord your God. There's just excuse after excuse. Because he's so deceived. See, because when you're in pride and when you're in self-deception, everything you think you're going to do makes just perfect sense to you. But it meant nothing to God and Samuel. You can be self-deceived, but that doesn't mean others are deceived, especially God. But here we see Saul was quickly backpedaling and sidestepping and dosy doing here, trying to excuse his sin by word games and half-truths. See, what we see here is simple as this. Saul revealed the real problem that he was having. He had a poor relationship with God. That's as simple as you can make it. Notice how he spoke of God to Samuel. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. Saul, I thought it was your God. Thought you were following God. No, no. You're telling him, we did this because I'm going to sacrifice your God, not my God. That tells you in those languages, and that tells you the distance, or if he doesn't even see that he was doing it for God. He was just going to do it for your God, Samuel. The Lord was not Saul's God. Saul was Saul's God. Saul was God. He, he's now king. He's now, I can control my life and do and go and everything what I want to do. Yes, yes, the Lord was your God, Samuel. But in his pride, Saul said, remove the, God, the Lord God from the throne of his heart. That is the root problem why he was disobedient. If you remember, and again from a scriptural perspective here of history, these Amalekites have been a problem for God's people. Later on, we will see that David has to deal with these Amalekites because he allowed, allowed some of the people to live. Haman, the evil man who tried to wipe out all the Jewish people in the days of Esther, was a descendant of Agag. We see that in Esther 3.1. And most iconic of all, Saul was killed on the battlefield by a Malachite claimed to deliver the final thrust of the sword. Because he didn't take them out. When we don't obey God completely, the leftover portion will surely come back and trouble us, if not kill us. It's got to be wiped out. Don't leave a tension. But Sam, at the end here, these verses, verse 16, just be quiet. I'm done with these lame excuses and these spiritualizing how you think you're doing what God asked you to do and you were obedient. You, 
and you come out and you just because you speak it and say it and do what people do even today. Blessed are the Lord, I perform the commandment of the Lord. I command it. And if you say it long enough and, and loud enough, and people will believe that that's actually what you did. No, it's not. It doesn't change the truth. So he had to be quiet because now here in verse 17 we see, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were humbled in your own eyes, you didn't think more highly of yourself. Remember those days? So where you were not heard of the tribes of Israel, you weren't so small, the smallest tribe, you were not even known. And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Didn't God lift you up? Now the Lord sent you on a mission, had a purpose for your life, a great, incredible purpose, and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Because you, I, he really went against the Lord here. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen and the best of things which should have been utterly destroyed to the sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. You know, God, Samuel's like asking this question. The Lord sends you on a mission. Why did you disobey the voice of the Lord? Why did you disobey the word of God? This was the most apparent of Saul's sins, is it not? God gave him a special, specific commandment, and he directly disobeyed it. But the root of why he disobeyed is because he had pride. Pride before the fall. You were little in your own eyes. You were so humble, but now pride is set in. But here, Saul could have just, just literally laid out and repent and, and begged for mercy and, and, and called God, yes, I'm a wicked sinner and I need to be saved. And I mean, literally being repentive here. No, Saul goes right in for the next insistence that he had, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. And then turned around and then clearly communicated how he was not obedient to the Lord. I brought the king back Agag. And the people brought it. I didn't even stop the people from taking it. And so he first says, I obeyed, and then turns around and says, confesses, and not confess, but literally describes what he did, which is disobedient to the word of God. It, he's so deceptive. So he says one thing, and he doesn't even realize what he's saying is showing that he has a sin problem, that he really is rebellious. He really is prideful. He really is ignorant. And he doesn't even see it as he's describing it back to Samuel. That is how you see it even today in people. But I'm zealous for... For the, what I do, yes, he would, Saul was zealous, certainly in commanding his army. When it suited him, 
People are always zealous to do things for God when it suits them. But as soon as it gets inconvenient or doesn't, if it doesn't, it's not, it's not, doesn't fit my lifestyle anymore or whatever it is, they're no longer going to be continue to be obedient. He's going to turn around and think what he's going to do is still okay. And they're no longer zealous to do anything else because it's not what they want to do. Saul was full of fire and zeal when it comes to his own will, but not when it comes to the will of God. Verse 22, then Samuel said, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, question mark, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's demonic. And stubbornness is as an iniquity and adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So now here comes the clarity from Samuel to him. He's sharing prophesying, showing God's judgment upon King Saul. See, religious observances, these little observances, without obedience is empty before God. The best best sacrifice we can bring to God is a repentant heart, Psalm 51, 16 and 17. Our bodies surrender to his service for obedience, Romans 12, 1. We can make a thousand sacrifices for God. Work a thousand hours for God in his service. Give millions of dollars to his work. But all these sacrifices mean little if there's not a surrendered heart to God and shown by simple obedience in doing what he's called us to do. We must worship God, my brothers and sisters. We must worship God in spirit and truth, John 4, 24. Singing with grace in your heart to the Lord, Colossians three sixteen. You can give thousands, millions, but your heart's not right. It means nothing. Why? Because this man had rebellion. And that rebellion, he called it out. Your rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It is absolute demonic. And it's stubbornness and it's this iniquity, this adultery. It's controlling your heart, Saul. You've rejected God. Just like anyone who today would go after and they would reject God by going to these occult practices or adultery, you're rejecting God in those things. And you know what's interesting? 
He's prophesying here because he says, you're, 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 the, what you're doing right now is this rebellion, is the sin of witchcraft. Later on, we will see Saul actually turning to witchcraft to try to help him. That's the slippery slope. You think Saul at the time would have said, you're going to turn to witchcraft to help you out in your situation? He would probably say no. But what he doesn't understand, because he's deceived, is that you're in a, slip, a slippery um, spiraling down. You don't see what's the end part, because you're still up here. You're eventually, you're going to hit bottom, and all those things that you said you probably would never do, you're going to do. And Samuel prophesied, showed him what exactly was going to happen. It's not the fact that Saul neglected any ceremony. Matter of fact, he was really good about trying to get attention in the ceremonies. He was actually doing things he wasn't supposed to do because he wasn't the high priest. He wasn't a priest at all. He wasn't even supposed to be sacrificing, but he sure loved being able to be in that position. <laughs> Saul's problem wasn't that he neglected some ceremony, but it, this is how Saul thought of obedience to God. It'd be like in today's kind of terms, right? It would be the fact that he would say, what, what? so God wants me to go to church more. That's what you're saying? I need to sacrifice, I need to go to church more. All right, I'll go. If that's what it's going to please God, I'll go to church more. I'm supposed to go to all of the, the different things that are going on. Is that what you want me to do? If, if that's, what's going to, I need to, that's what you want me to do? Okay, fine. If you want me to do this religious observance, I will do it. I'll go. I'll go to this men's, and I'll do the ladies, and I'll do this, and I'll go Mondays and Wednesdays, and, Fridays, and I'll do all the home fellowships. I'll do everything and anything. Religious observance, observance, observing kind of a thing. So you're, I, it's going to come out here eventually. It's in my head. I can't get it out of the town. Observances. But the problem is, his heart became rebellious and stubborn against God, even though he showed up to those things. And that only lasts so long, and then you stop coming to those things. Because you're not coming with the right heart, you'll eventually stop. Because it didn't help the problem. His heart was the problem. See, it would be easy for Saul to point his fingers at the Amalekites or the Phil Philistines and, or whoever and look at those godless idolaters and say, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm not that bad. They don't worship the true God like I do. But Saul didn't worship the true God either. Because the real worship of God begins with surrender. A surrendered heart. If you don't have a surrendered heart, then you're not worshiping God, right? Why? How do we know this? Because Samuel said to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. And because of that, God has rejected you. Now, it's interesting, as we study the scriptures, when did God really reject? He rejected them already. It will be 20, almost 25 years before he actually disthrones him out of the kingship. He says, you're out of here. It takes 25 years to actually then prepare for David to come on the scene, and then it Saul's out, and David's in. 25 years.
Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Nah, you still don't get it, Saul. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. <laughs> oh, this is where the re rejection comes in. He's re rejection of God. God's going to reject him. Samuel's going to reject him here in these final verses here because Saul's statement begins with this genuine confession. I have sinned. Yes, you have. I have transgressed. That means you knew exactly what you were doing. Yes, and you did it. Yes, you've done it. And the commandment of the Lord. You know this. You've genuinely confessed. But that changes as he did. It didn't change him as he continues because he continues in, in, instead of just stopping right there and takes full ownership. No, he doesn't take full ownership. He gives an excuse because the reason why I sinned, the reason why I transgressed against the word of God is because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I was fearful of man. An excuse. A justification. Saul refused to own up to his own sin instead of blaming the people who made him To say because I fear the people tries to justify one sin with another. Had he feared God more? He need have feared the people less. If he would have feared God more, reverence and awe of God more, he would have feared people less. But he wants to pardon, pardon my sin, please, please, represent, go to God for me, help me here, return with me, Samuel, and worship the Lord. See, instead of dealing with the deep issues of his heart of rebellion and stubbornness against God, no, no, he didn't deal with it. Saul thought that just a word from Samuel, please give a good word to God for me. You, you, God will listen to you. Can't have me a pardon here, man. You're like my lawyer, go represent me here. Samuel, come, please, fix it. Thinking some word from Samuel or two was going to somehow solve the, and change and settle the nature of Saul's heart. No, he was looking to change his heart. He was looking just not to get judgment and punish and lose the kingship. It's the only reason why he was crying out to Samuel. He, could, he didn't even want to cry out to God. He was to, to Samuel. He should have been crying to God. See, God knew that he was dealing with this full, rebellion, stubborn heart, and it was a settled condition. God knew it. And God told Samuel that this was settled. Samuel, I'm telling you, this man's heart is settled in rebellion and stubbornness and it's, this is it, done. Samuel doesn't know a heart of a man, but when God shows him that this is the heart of the man, that's it. 26, but Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, 
For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, Ooh, you can imagine that little scene. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from, your, from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also, notice here, underline it, only place in the entire scripture that gives the title of the Lord here of also the strength of Israel. That's the only title of the Lord here in the Bible of that. Will not lie nor relent. For he, capital H, is not a man that he, capital H, should relent. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. What? That was a little confusing at the very end of 31 because he's sitting there saying, you're out of here, bud. You're done. Finish. I know your heart because God showed me your heart. This is what's going to happen. And the strength of Israel, the Lord himself, the title of the Lord himself. He's not man. He's not going to relent. He is God. And he is going to bring judgment. This is done. This is a final deal. So what happens here? Instead of receiving that and hearing that, he says, I have sinned. But yet, please honor me. I need you to now go with me in front of all the people and save face for me, please. That's what he was doing. Can you go in front of all the people, all the elders, all the, all the people of Israel, turn with me and come worship me and act like everything is fine? I can save face. His reputation was very important to him. But this was permanent. This, was one of, this, this situation was not going to change. The strength of Israel is brought judgment to you. Your reputation versus getting right with the Lord has caused that. You're, you're, you're worrying about your reputation and your achievements and, and people honoring you and glorifying you and, and your attention on you. Your pride, instead of getting right with the Lord, that is why you're losing everything. Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. You can imagine and picture that in your mind, can't you? And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death has passed. <laughs> You ponder on this for a while. You start getting little images, right? You know someone says, I'm going to kill you. And then you approach them somewhere in some on the street. Or, and the first thing you had, uh, uh, the bitterness that was against me, what I did to you, the bitterness. You're not, that's not still happening, is it, right? You're like you pass it. The death has passed, right? You're, all that bitterness has gotten run away, right? You can see what he's saying here. Surely the bitterness of death is passed. You don't want to kill me. I'm really, really, I am sure not. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Hagag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. 
He had to take and do the work that God said needed to be done and Saul wasn't willing to do it. Because the issue was still not resolved. Haggai was still alive. So Samuel was going to complete the disobedience or incomplete uh, obedience because God said to utterly destroy all the Amalekite. Oh, man. Can you imagine that scene going on? He thought for sure, Agag was thought for sure, arrive in front of this, this priestly man that he could somehow smile and weigh himself out of the situation. Surely the worst is over. Surely you don't have death in your mindset. Well, we can work this thing out. Probably fast-talked Saul as well. That's how he spared his life probably the first time. But that wasn't going to happen with Samuel. He's going to be obedient to God, and he hacked him up right there before the Lord. It wasn't before Saul. It wasn't not before Saul to show him how weak and proud he was. This was not before Israel to show them how strong and tough Samuel was. He did this purely before the Lord in tough obedience to the Lord because he says, I'm going to be obedient to God. Can you imagine the people looking at the priest having to hack up Agag? Verse 34, then Samuel went to Ramah. Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Keep in mind, their distance is only about 10, 15 miles apart. So the remaining of those years, he never, they never decided to walk and come and, and reconcile. See, Saul could have come to Samuel and reconciled when he it was near the place, come the place. No, because his heart never changed. He never changed, repented, and even asked and showed any remorse or anything of what the rebellion he did against Samuel, against the Lord. He could have come at some point, but no, right there, there is no reconciliation whatsoever. But notice Samuel's heart. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. What does that tell you? Samuel's heart never grew hardened against Saul. He wasn't going to let bitterness set in his mind, in his heart, against this man who came against him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Again, there's still that sense, that heart of of just the impact of a prideful, rebellious, selfish man and the impact that it has on people around them. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to be able to be here to, in presence here or online. And we thank you for all that uh, ability to sit and to hear your word and to allow your spirit to minister to our hearts, Lord. May that not be us, that we are not prideful, stubborn men and women, but ones of soft heart, a contrite heart, a, a one that is a heart of just wanting to just follow you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for dying for the sin on the cross for us and for the whole world, Lord, anyone who puts their belief and trust in you. 
can receive that eternal life, that forgiveness of sin. May not we not be start following you and then turn around and stop following you and become stubborn, rebellious, and walk away from what you've commanded us to do. To follow you and to be obedient to the mission that you've called us to do. We thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.